it is really powerful to have a technology where the test, the workflow in the laboratory stays exactly the same. And as there are new strains we need to look for, as it becomes clear there are certain mutations that have a substantial impact on the phenotype, we can add that knowledge to the software and to our knowledge bases, and we can add actionable information as we learn more. And this makes the laboratory and the clinician and the healthcare system much more flexible and puts us in a better position to more quickly respond to these rapidly evolving situations. Welcome to the Illumina Genomics Podcast, where leading scientists discuss genomics research and how new discoveries are shaping our understanding of science and nature. I'm your host, Andrew Hinton. Today is the second installment of our mini-series on genomics during the COVID-19 pandemic. In this most recent discussion, we shift our focus towards clinical metagenomics, which has made significant advances in the last several years, providing important opportunities in the face of emerging pathogens such as SARS-CoV-2. While most familiar applications in genomics apply to analysis of the genome or transcriptome of a single organism or even a specific tissue, Metagenomic applications analyze a community of microorganisms recovered from an environmental sample, which could include a large number of species. Some applications in this field can be relatively focused on a subset of microbes, but the most unbiased method is shotgun metagenomics, which captures and analyzes nucleic acids from any biological source, including but not limited to bacteria, viruses, fungi, and even host DNA or RNA. The genetic material is sequenced and aligned in a database of microorganisms, which is necessary to identify species, strains, or even something that has not yet been classified. In the realm of infectious disease, the ability to identify pathogens rapidly is important for surveillance during a pandemic or for guidance in clinical care. And unbiased methods are particularly important when the culprit is something we did not anticipate. Today, we are joined by Robert Schlauberg, Chief Medical Officer, and Lauga Farnes, Head of Medical Affairs at ID by DNA. Robert and Lauga's efforts at ID by DNA have involved developing metagenomic tools that can be used by scientists and clinicians who lack genomic expertise, empowering them to improve health by decoding the unknown. Such a challenge has especially required innovations in bioinformatics software that is powerful enough to analyze an ever-expanding database of more than 50,000 microorganisms, but also accessible in a format that enables clinicians and researchers not only to detect any microbe in a sample, but also to triage the data that is clinically relevant. Let's talk to Robert and Lauga. So welcome to Robert Schlauberg and Lauga Farnas. Thanks for joining us on the podcast today. Thank you for having us. Yeah, no, excited to be here. So start us off, if you don't mind, by giving us a little bit of your background and how you ended up working in the field of clinical metagenomics. This is Robert. I trained as a physician and clinical pathologist and microbiologist, and I spent some time in a pathogen discovery laboratory and got familiar in the very early days of next-generation sequencing with the power of this technology and how it can be used to investigate um, outbreaks and clusters of suspected but unknown um, infections. And um, the power of this technology has become very clear very early on. But for a long time, it was just too complicated and and required too much expertise for um, regular laboratories to use it. And so it was 
kind of confined to a small number of ex very highly experienced laboratories. And so what got me excited was helping to bridge the gap between what's technologically possible and what is feasible to do on a routine basis and, and help bring this technology to the benefit of more and more patients. And this is this is Lauga. So I, I kind of came at it from from the other side. So I am a, a clinical infectious disease doctor by training, bedside physician. And I had worked uh, a little bit initially on coming up on some of the economic uh, and utility models for rapid whole genome sequencing for critically ill children. So children that didn't have a diagnosis in the hospital and trying to come up with a rapid diagnosis through whole genome sequencing. But my passion was really an in infectious disease. So sort of as the metagenomics field matured, and I saw that, that those same things that we had applied in human genetics could now be applied in infectious disease, I, I got really excited about that possibility and, and came over here to uh, work with Robert. Great. So in the uh, infectious disease realm, metagenomics is the new emerging technology. So can you give us a basic description of what metagenomics involves and why is it an exciting time for this technology? So if you think about how we're still doing most infectious disease testing, you can compare it to the proverbial searching under the lamppost. So we usually start testing with a specific question, a specific pathogen we're trying to test for. And so it's very much driven based on um, a hypothesis of what, based on a clinical assessment, we think needs to be ruled in or ruled out. Often that works, but too often it doesn't. And so what, what we can do with metagenomics and next-generation sequencing is we can we kind of turn this around and ask a much broader question right at the beginning, and that's, you know, what's driving the disease in, in a given patient rather than, you know, is it pathogen X that's driving the disease, and if not, is it pathogen Y? So here we can be much broader, and we do this by conceptually digitizing the sample. We extract um, nucleic acid, RNA, DNA from the sample, and then sequence everything in the sample, and then sort through the data, make sense of it at that point, and determine in a very broad and agnostic way what, what may be the cause of a of a, a given patient's infection. And so besides just being able to find a pathogen, this technology can also um, provide information about how much of a pathogen is found. So it can, it's quantitative. It can be used to characterize the genome of a pathogen to look at what is the genetic makeup in terms of likely drug response, what's the specific strain, so these days, we don't have to explain why that's important. It's one of the, the main questions these days about SARS-CoV-2, not just is it that particular virus, but which flavor of it is it? And so all of these questions can be addressed with one technology, um, namely metagenomics. And, and I think that's just really, you know, from a clinical standpoint, speed matters and breadth matters. And really what you want to be able to do as a clinician to get your, your patient on the best treatment possible is to do the most comprehensive test you can up front. And really, so you can you don't end up in this world of serial testing, but you get the answer as quickly as possible and, and help kind of get that patient on some sort of definitive treatment. So I understand you've worked a lot on applications for shotgun metagenomics. 
And you've also worked with NGS-based panels that are more focused on selected groups of pathogens. So can you outline the main differences between these two types of analyses in terms of the trade-offs between them and perhaps when you would choose one application over the other? Right. So this is a good question. It kind of gets back at the the last part of your previous question, which I think we didn't we didn't answer. Why is this exciting today? Why are we talking about metagenomics now? So as Logan mentioned, the goal here is to be broad and to be fast and and also to do this at low cost. And so it's in this this kind of framework that we have to look at shotgun versus a more targeted sequencing approach. Um, conceptually, you can compare this to whole genome sequencing versus using large gene panels. So here, it's and with shotgun sequencing, the approach is completely agnostic. So you sequence all of the RNA and or DNA that's extracted from a sample. With a more targeted approach, you can specifically capture and fish out, if you if you will, pathogen genome sequences out of the sample so that you don't have to sequence as deep. You don't have to spend as much time and money sequencing. So you stack the deck in your favor and kind of fish out what you care about in terms of, so for example, a really comprehensive set of known human pathogens. Um, and then that's what you sequence. The benefit is it's cheaper. It can also be done on lower throughput and much faster sequencing platforms, and the costs come down with this approach. And then one of the other things that you think about that sort of makes the metagenomic world different from the, the classical genetics world or something like that is that when you're dealing with a metagenomic sample or an infectious disease sample, geography matters. You know, so if you did, if you detect enterococcus in your lungs, that's bad and that's highly indicative of an infection. But if you detect it in the colon, then, you know, that might just be normal flora. So depending on what you detect and where you detect it, then that's what you make your clinical decision on. So it's not just the organism itself, but it's the organism in relation to the host. Is it an immunocompromised host? Is it a normal host? And then where in the host did you detect that? So you have to put all that together to then be able to sort of make a clinical decision on it. Yeah. And you mentioned the host geography. And I know uh, in some metagenomic applications, if you take the sample from uh, you know, the respiratory tract, for example, you can also sequence a, a expressed RNA from the host cells. Is that something that's just standardly done or there just has to be like a conscious decision to go and, and mine for that data as well, for that RNA that's captured automatically? Right. So this is a great question. And there's a huge interest in using the host gene expression information to um, inform how we think about pathogens, how we determine that, you know, given a given pathogen that's detected is actually playing a causative role in, in, in the disease of a patient versus just being a colonizer or bystander. Um, so looking at what the host does and the response to an infection can inform here. Um, it, it comes as a byproduct, if you will, in a shotgun metagenomic approach. 
the more targeted sequencing approach, that information can be included if the test is designed accordingly. Yeah, and I think this is always like the one of the key questions that you deal with as an infectious disease physician. The first question is always, is there an infection or is there not an infection? And then after that, if there is an infection, what do I do about it? What antibiotics do I put on it? So if you get a sample back and you detect something like Staphylococcus hominis, then there's always the question about, is this really an infection or is this a contaminant or is it a commensal organism? And so certainly, as, as if we can get deeper into the transcriptomics, we, we might be able to, to answer that question, which is sort of a, a holy grail in infectious disease. And one of the simplest ways or maybe the cleanest signal that you can differentiate with a host transcriptomic-based approach is to differentiate a viral from a bacterial infection. And that's incredibly important, um, as Logan said, when it comes to the question of, do I need to use antibiotics or not? And so um, what this approach lets you do is rule in or rule out a, an infectious etiology at the baseline. Is, it, does, is this even an infection or not? Or does, do we need to treat completely differently? So these are relatively new methods in a field that traditionally was limited in a lot of ways to studying microbes that could be grown in culture. So what are the innovations that have occurred or what has changed in the last few years that makes doing metagenomics more feasible now than before? And how will the technology continue to Yeah, I, I like to think back just about five years or so when I was listening to an academic talk where you know one of the leading centers in the in the country was presenting very exciting metagenomics data. And as part of of the methods. It, it, the scale and the, the complexity of the data analysis became very clear when it was summarized that the data analysis was taking days to weeks on very large computer clusters. That's just as to give you a sense of the complexity and the, the extent of the computational challenges just a few years ago. And this is symptomatic for kind of the pace at which this technology has developed. We can do this the same analyses now in, in well below an hour. Um, the overall workflow has come down to um, less than 24 hours. And so it's that speed up. It's also lower complexity and easier to use workflows, both in the laboratory preparing the sample for sequencing and also on the data analysis side that's really democratized this technology. And then last, not least, the cost. Um, so they have come down substantially also to a point where, you know, targeted metagenomic tests in terms of reagents can be performed for a similar cost as a, as a multiplex PCR panel. So this, these are very exciting developments in, in terms of complexity, speed, and cost that um, have brought this much closer to routine application. Yeah, I mean, that's like, you know, when I, when I think back about the first patients that I took care of that we, um, that we clinically used metagenomics on, you would only use it for your truly, like, fringe cases, like the refractory patients that nobody could make a diagnosis on. And it was sort of a test of last resort. And I think the development that for me has been the most exciting in the last two or three years is that that simply the price point and the time to completion has moved from 
that this is a test that can only be used for sort of infectious disease diagnostic odysseys to something that's really pretty much ready to be used for common disease. And then suddenly it becomes, oh, we can get all this enormous amount of data. We can get this epidemiology data on common disease and how strains move across patient populations and, and not just make a diagnosis for an individual patient, but as we start to deploy it for more and more patients, the data usefulness starts to grow exponentially. And the indications, right, for which yeah. you can use the technology has just expands dramatically as this becomes cheaper and faster and easier to use. So, Lauga, you, you just referred to the, the first time you ever used metagenomics in the clinic. What time period was that? So I think the first time that, that I used a metagenomic analysis on, on a patient was probably about five years ago. That was the first time that, that I used it. And, um, and you know, I, the first patient that I ever used metagenomic analysis on, it, it came up with, uh, with a diagnosis that no one was expecting, and that definitely helped get me hooked and, and excited about the potential. Yeah, and so you apparently were someone who was, you know, willing to, to go out and make the effort to, to bring that technology forward. But from a clinical perspective in general, I was wondering if you could comment on what the current standard of care is and like what opportunities do we have with metagenomics that are different from the current state or the recent state of diagnostic testing? Well, I think uh, so the standard of care and it again, going back to this idea that infections are geographic in a body and, and different infections exist at different places. So depending on what you're looking at, it could be anywhere from a lung biopsy if someone has a pulmonary nodule that you can't diagnose to a blood culture or a urine culture, you know, so there's, there's this broad range of testing. But I think one of, one of the ways to sort of think about this is that traditionally people have thought about infectious disease as sort of this Aaron Burr versus Hamilton, a host and a microbe standing at 10 paces that, uh, that are facing off against each other. And I think as our, as our understanding of what infection truly is, it starts to look something much more like uh, a raging Viking battle with multiple people that are swinging axes at each other, going in different directions and different parts of the immune system and different microbes that are coming in and really getting a more nuanced understanding of exactly what those interactions are that are taking place in the body. And you have a viral infection, you have influenza, but do you also have a secondary pneumonia? You know, that was really, if you think back about the Spanish flu, um, most of the patients that that died of the Spanish flu back in the last century really didn't die from the flu. They died from the follow-up secondary pneumonia. And we know that in COVID-19, um, some of the patients that do really bad in the ICU have, have secondary pneumonias. So, you know, it's really about an evolution of a, a more complex understanding of infectious disease and, and the ability to, to have tools that can measure that in a clinically relevant amount of time. Yeah, so you mentioned, uh, Robert, that like five years ago, the, you know, data processing took a long time, so that was a major bottleneck. And based on my experience from around that same time, that was true for other areas of NGS as well. But I think for metagenomics in particular, I mean, the idea of a method that can sequence every organism in a sample sounds really exciting for a researcher studying microbial communities or microbiomes. But from the perspective of a clinician who is uninitiated in using NGS, 
or bioinformatics, the interpretation of results might sound a bit daunting with that much information. So I was wondering if you could comment on what do clinicians need to know and understand about metagenomics and NGS before they might try to use it? Right. So I think there's absolutely that that gradient that Logo was just referring to, the the one-on-one battle versus the chaotic um, Viking um, <laughs> battle. Um, you know, I think if I mean there are examples of both ends of that spectrum in infectious diseases, right? There are there are clear single pathogen infections, um, but then on the other end of the spectrum, there are those more complex diseases that were. The, the normal flora, the microbiome affects the susceptibility of the host where there are super infections and complex interactions between um, pathogens and the host, right? And I think conventional diagnostics have done much better with those um, more simple single pathogen diseases, right? And as you move along that spectrum to the more complex etiologies, you kind of lose resolution and conventional test struggle. Now with metagenomics, as you said, there is a concern that you may provide, you may generate too much data and you don't know what to do with it, right? And the way I look at it is there's plenty that we know how to interpret. Um, there are lots of results that are pretty clear where we're using a much more powerful method to identify single pathogen infections or those where it's, you know, uh, a less complex interaction between pathogens. But, uh, but I completely agree. There's more that we need to learn and we will understand etiology, pathogenesis, and then also interpretation of test results and treatment better in a few years, right? But the important thing is this technology lets us gather all of this information and we can learn as we go. Improving a test basically becomes a software update. That's the effort that's that's needed, right? Um, it's not redesigning um, a test when there's a new pathogen or a new strain that's becoming important, or when we learn that it's actually an interaction between pathogens. Here we have all of this information, we gather it, we can learn as we go and interpret what we know um, how to interpret and and learn and improve um, over time. So I think this, this is important to acknowledge. There is definitely more that needs to be learned, but we now have the tools to do so. And, and I think, you know, it's not, it's not a problem that's unique to metagenomics either. You know, like if you talk to a clinician and they get a genetics report where every variant of unknown significance is reported to them, they're like, yeah, I, I don't know what to do with this. Like, I can't, I can't figure out what to do with this. So there's a certain amount of curation that needs to go into the reports that you generate and say, you know, this is what we feel like is clinically actionable. And this is maybe less clinically actionable. And I think one of the things when you think about metagenomics is a lot of people sort of think about it as like, I want to think about it like an HSV PCR. It's positive or it's negative. When it's a little bit more complex than that, you know, it's almost more like a chest x-ray. Like you have two patients and, and you have a consolidation in, in the upper right 
lung, which, you know, in a person who's immunologically normal is maybe not so worrisome. But if you have someone who's immunocompromised and really sick, you, you interpret that differently. It could be atelectasis in one situation. It could be a focal bacterial pneumonia in another situation. So it requires a, an interpretation of what the result means in the context of that patient and the presentation of symptoms in that patient. It, it's not a, a freestanding answer in and of itself without some sort of clinical context for it. Unless you look for those variants that are currently of unknown significance and you try to accumulate knowledge about them, you'll never be able to understand what they mean. So this is what I think is really exciting about this technology, aside from the many benefits we already talked about, is the, the ability to continuously expand our knowledge and improve tests as we go. Um, so just to give you an example of this, we've done a lot of um, metagenomic testing for respiratory infections. And with a very rapidly evolving knowledge about SARS-CoV-2, for example, it is really powerful to have a technology where the test, the workflow in the laboratory stays exactly the same. And as there are new strains we need to, we need to look for, as it becomes clear, there are certain mutations that have a substantial impact on the phenotype we can add that knowledge to the software and to a knowledge basis, and we can add actionable information as we learn more. And this makes the laboratory and the clinician and the healthcare system much more flexible and puts us in a better position to more quickly respond to these rapidly evolving situations. We're going to stop the interview right here because the conversation with Robert and Lauga uncovered a lot of valuable insights on a range of topics related to clinical metagenomics for infectious disease. So this interview will be broken up into two parts. Tune in for part two of this interview where the conversation continues and we shift focus towards the application of metagenomic technology to address SARS-CoV-2 and other potentially emerging pathogens. See you next time.